Hey, this is Todd Herman, host of The Todd Herman Show. You might have heard me on Rush Limbaugh's show. I was a regular fill-in for about eight years. I now do a show out of the high mountains of free America because, you know, I got exiled from Seattle. Google Gemini correctly predicts the present day. Mind control matrix. The internet, television, even our phones wouldn't just be distractions, but tools used to manipulate the masses and suppress critical thinking. I said that correctly. Check out The Todd Herman Show every day on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, the Three Martini Lunch with Greg Columbus and Jim Garrity. Hey, come on in. Have a seat. It's the Three Martini Lunch. Jim Garrity's back today. Jim, good to have you back. And today we're going to do things in reverse order. Crazy, bad, and good. And the good is a very special good. We're also sponsored today by Figs. Figs is the maker of the greatest scrubs and other apparel for our great medical professionals, doctors, dentists, nurses, etc., head to wearfigs.com and enter the promo code MARTINI at checkout for 15% off your first purchase. Much more on that in just a little bit. Jim, let's start with our crazy. And it deals with the 2020 presidential race, to no surprise. Yesterday, David French and I talked about Beto now being actually in favor of gun confiscation for those people who might actually not agree to turn in their legally purchased weapons under his scheme. But since he's never going to be president, we can move on to a different person for today's crazy martini, Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton is really living in a delusional world. So every time you cringe about what the president's doing, and lately he's given us plenty of opportunities to do so, you really have to also consider the fact of who the other option was in, in 2016. Hillary Clinton's um, drifting into delusion land is really getting concerning as well. She was a guest on a podcast hosted by David Plouffe, of course, of Obama campaign fame. And so, of course, it was a very balanced and neutral uh, look at the 2020 campaign. But Hillary Clinton still in uh, just complete denial about 2016. First of all, here's what she had to say about losing Wisconsin and Michigan in the context of what Democrats have to do this time. But we're going to be outgunned, outspent, outlied. I mean, we're going to have a lot of problems. And the thing we have to do is get enough people to turn out so that they can't you know, steal those votes through suppression in Wisconsin or convince blacks not to vote in Michigan, all the stuff that they did this last time, which was very effective. And the Russians played a big role in. And she's not done yet. She says in uh, 2020, the Russians are also going to be very active when it comes to fielding a third party candidate. And guess who she has in mind? They're also going to do third party again. And I'm not making any predictions but I think they've got their eye on somebody who's currently in the Democratic <laughs> primary and are grooming her to be the third party candidate. She's a favorite of the Russians. They have a bunch of sites and bots and other ways of supporting her mm-hmm. so far. And that's assuming Jill Stein will give it up, which she might not because she's also a Russian right. uh, asset. Yeah. yeah, she's a Russian asset. I mean, totally. And so they know they can't win without a third party candidate. And so I don't know who it's going to be, but I will guarantee you they'll have a vigorous third party challenge in the key states that they most need it. Jim, you and I didn't vote for Hillary Clinton. Does that make us Russian assets? Because apparently it sounds like uh, anything that didn't go her way was the uh, was the Russians. Yes, comrade Trumbus. You could almost hear kind of like that little chuckle when she said Jill Stein is a Russian asset. <laughs> Right. This is not meant to be a hostile interview. And I'm sure, first of all, I'm sure when he asks, you know, what do we got to do in that upper Midwest to win, you know, Wisconsin, 
side. You're waiting for that Woody Allen answer. You know, 90% of life is showing up, uh, which she did. <laughs> but she keeps going on this. First of all, it's, it's an intriguing uh, theory that, uh, first of all, the argument from Hillary Clinton basically is that the Green Party is a sinister plot of the Republican Party. Uh, you know, the secretly being you know manipulated by the Republican Party, and/or by Russia. And I'd be curious to ask how many green you know to go around to Green Party members. You know, Ralph Nader. We heard this thing back from from Ralph Nader back in two thousand. The Democrats feel towards the Green Party kind of the way a lot of Republicans feel about the Libertarian Party. And there's always this attitude of like, come on, you guys, you're supposed to be in favor of small government. Why aren't you guys joining us? And you know, the Libertarians will come out of their pot smoke haze. They'll come out of the strip club. They'll come out of uh, all these things and say, well, wait a second. You guys want to restrict my freedom in other ways. And I'm just not down with that. That's why we have to vote libertarian. And that's why, you know, Gary Johnson got the votes that he did in, in, uh, in 2016. But I want to focus in on, on Tulsi Gabbard because you and I have talked about her a bunch of times. There are a decent number of Republicans who look at what they at that debate stage and kind of like what they see as far as Democrats go. And I don't just mean the fact that she's the youngest candidate and she surfs and, and all that kind of fun stuff. But, you know, this, I, I disagree with Tulsi Gabbard on a lot of foreign policy issues. But I don't think this is because she's a Russian agent or she's been somehow uh, brainwashed into positions by a sinister Kremlin plot or something like that. She's fairly Everything she says about her foreign policy, she's fairly straightforward about. She served in Iraq, and I, I think it's pretty clear that time convinced her the Arab world and the Muslim world are complicated, contradictory, uh, maybe kind of culturally prone towards extremism, uh, rife with conspiracy theories, and, and you know, maybe just flat out irrational. However you want to define it, she looked at it and said, okay, our two top priorities are stopping terror attacks and then not getting sucked into wars that are triggered by terror attacks. And her attitude is the best way to do this is to work with, with um, Arab and Muslim dictators that their police states and their brutalities are actually the ones that probably do the best job of protecting Americans from Islamic extremism. This is why she met with Bashir Assad. She doesn't see democracy taking hold in the Middle East anytime soon. Now I got a lot of beefs with this because I think ultimately this, this, this doesn't work out this way. In fact, almost every time the United States has worked with a dictator, it has ended up blowing up in our faces. It never turns out well. These guys always turn around and bite us in the butt. There are a bunch of reasons for this, but I don't think she's doing this out of some sinister plot or something like that. I think she genuinely has these positions because she doesn't believe the United States should be in the business of democracy promotion. And she believes that regimes that are unfree have at least the advantage of making it less likely we'll get hit by Islamist terrorists. That's not crazy. That, that may be mistaken. That may be wrong. But you can understand why she has this, this philosophy here. And there's a foreign policy consensus in Washington. That ironically, I agree with a great deal, but there's it's so deeply rooted that there are some adherents besides Hillary Clinton who just wants to find reasons to other people to blame for her defeat, um, who believe that anybody who challenges that foreign policy consensus has to be doing so out of some sort of bad faith, sinister motive. And uh, I know a lot of people might say, ah, you know, guys, it's 2019. Why are you picking on Hillary Clinton? Well, look, I mean, when you argue that one of the Democratic presidential candidates is a Russian agent and that the Green Party is a Russian agent, you've gone into, you know, cloud cuckoo land here. And uh, I just, you know, that's worth calling out. Um, I don't think you can just kind of shrug and say, oh, that's just Hillary being Hillary. 
No, I mean, and you mentioned Gary Johnson and Jill Stein from 2016, and basically they got mentioned probably more than third-party candidates because of the high disapproval ratings for both Trump and Hillary. And, of course, you had the the scorned Bernie supporters, some of whom went to Jill Stein and uh, some folks on the right who didn't like Trump and decided to go with Gary Johnson or some with McMullen. And um, ultimately, though, when we got to Election Day, did you or anybody you know think, Boy, I bet uh, I bet Jill Stein's going to make the difference here. Boy, the Russians really have an angle there. <laughs> there are many times in the past I have seen a Republican lose by a narrow margin to a Democrat. And you look at the Libertarian candidate who got one or two or three percent. And you look at those votes and you think, God, if we either if we'd gotten all the Libertarian votes or if we'd gotten two thirds of the Libertarian votes to vote for the Republican candidate, we would have won. Ugh! But in the end, every vote's got to be earned. You're not entitled to any of these. And if you want those people to vote for you, go out and make your case for them. And I think what we see here is the same kind of that, um, I think, a certain amount of arrogance, a certain sense of entitlement to other people's votes that uh, is a big factor in why people didn't want to elect Hillary in the first place. Exactly. Well, let's talk about earning things, including earning respect. Nobody does that better than our medical professionals, the different doctors we go to, their nurses, their their front office staff, uh, folks you encounter, certainly if you go to the hospital. Hopefully you don't have to do that too often. But uh, these are amazing people with a tremendous amount of energy and expertise and excellent bedside manner. And when they're on their feet all day and and dealing with patient after patient as, as professionally as they can, they should definitely be wearing things that make them feel comfortable. I mean, after all, what these people do every day is more than a job, and what they wear is not just a uniform. If they're wearing scrubs or other medical gear, they should be wearing stuff that helps them feel good and perform at their very best. You know, if I'm going to see a doctor, Greg, or any medical professional, I'm probably it's pro- something's probably gone wrong, <laughs> other than my regular checkup. It's probably something bad. I'm probably nervous. And if I see my doctor or medical professional and they look like they got dressed in the dark, well, let's just say that blood pressure is going to be a little bit higher than usual. Um, Figs creates the highest quality medical apparel so that medical professionals look their best, feel their best, and perform at their best every day. Every set of figs is antimicrobial, which means it protects from germs and bacteria. It is ridiculously soft, moisture-wicking, and features a four-way stretch. Figs are made with yoga waistbands and come with a variety of styles from classic straight legs to joggers and skinny styles. Speaking of giving, Figs makes great gifts for the lifesavers in your life. Figs gift cards are available, so the next time your doctor, nurse, dentist, dermatologist, or pediatrician saves the day, why don't you tell them thank you by sending them a gift card for Figs? Most of the stuff that you can find at wearfigs.com is certainly for the medical professionals. But as I mentioned earlier in the week, I had a chance to uh, get a couple of things off of wearfigs.com. So I got the active wear jacket, which this time of year is perfect. It's lightweight, but uh, keeps you warm when you're walking around outside when it's brisk, but not too cold. Uh, It's got tons of pockets, so uh, you can... Uh, keep whatever you need in the pockets. And for medical professionals, very easy access uh, to stethoscopes or thermometers or whatever else you need as you go about your day. Same thing with nurses and uh, physician's assistants and whoever else would be great for this. Uh, Also got a pair of socks, which are fantastic as well. So whether you're one of the amazing people that works in healthcare or someone that wants to say thanks to these people, Figs is going to make that easy by giving you 15% off your first purchase by using our promo code Martini. Get ready to love your scrubs. Head to wearfigs, W-E-A-R-F-I-G-S.com, and enter our code Martini at checkout. 
All right, Jim, there's more than the presidential race to the 2020 campaign. There's also House, Senate, uh, uh, just endless amount of state races and local races as well. When it comes to the Senate, one of the most endangered Republicans by most estimations is Cory Gardner. He uh, defeated one of the Udalls. I can't remember which one. I think it was Mark in 2014. Pretty reliable Republican senator, I would say. But in a state that's purplish blue and increasingly blue like Colorado, uh, he's in trouble. And a new poll out there shows just how much he's in trouble. This is from Keating Research, Onsite Public Affairs, and Martin Campaigns. This is a Colorado statewide voter poll from October of this year, obviously. Uh, let's start at the top here. President Trump, 38% approval, 60% unfavorable. Uh, that's not going to get the job done for most Republicans who are going to have to run on the same ballot as him. Cory Gardner, 34% favorable, 45% unfavorable. So that's not looking good. John Hickenlooper, 51% favorable, 35% favorable. And in the ultimate matchup here, obviously still a little bit more than a year away from Election Day, Hickenlooper, 53, Cory Gardner, 42. And if you look at definite Hickenlooper, 51%, definite Gardner, 39. So, I mean, these are guys with pretty strong name recognition already, Jim. There don't seem to be a ton of undecideds here or even leaners. And so where Trump's 20 points underwater, Cory Gardner, who's underwater himself, has got a lot of swimming against the current to do here. Yeah, this is about as depressing a poll result as I've seen in a while. And look, you want to argue that it's a Democratic firm that did it fine. The other polls by nonpartisan firms don't look that much different. Um, it matches the, the narrative. It makes sense in a bunch of ways. I mean, this is not a little-known Democratic candidate. Hickenlooper is a two-time governor. Before that, he was a two-time mayor of Denver. People know who he is. We laughed at his presidential campaign. It really seemed kind of surprisingly amateurish and and really couldn't break through or anything like that. But he's not going to have that issue in Colorado. People in Colorado generally like him. Cory Gardner, when he won in 2014, looked like one of the next great rising star in Republican circles. And he's been great. But I think it's safe to say that he was in a state that was purple to trending blue. Cory Gardner was the kind of guy who'd want to like engineer in a lot in a laboratory to be the kind of guy to win in a, in a suburban district and to win people who aren't to have that broad appeal, uh, you know, the Colorado Springs uh, military families to the rural farmers to um, to suburban soccer moms. You know, th th this was a guy who had a broad, you know, it's broad spectrum of appeal. Well, he's not the face of the Republican Party anymore in Colorado. He's, you know, tr Donald Trump is the, is the face and Donald Trump does not play well in suburbs. And he does not play well with a bunch of demographics that used to be at least reasonably open to voting for Republican candidates. And I don't think that Cory Gardner is um, his own natural traits, charisma, stances, rhetoric, et cetera. It, it can't surpass that. It can't um, overcome that. And this is a state that otherwise has been, you know, it was it was trending blue. And since the Trump era began, it's been going hard blue in, in another further direction. Um, I don't want to you don't want to write off Cory Gardner yet. He's like I said, he's a very talented politician. Um, but the, this this is a big, steep uh, hole to climb out of. Um, you figure, you know, any, the economy is probably not going to be any better a year from now than it is then. I mean, you know, maybe on the margins, not, not enough to suddenly change his numbers. Um, it's not like Trump's going to be a different guy a year from now. We're probably going to go through the impeachment process. Sounds like people in Colorado are pretty fine with impeachment. And so, you know, Cory Gardner's got the choice of 
does he irritate his uh, base and vote for, you know, for impeachment or does he vote against it and alienate the slim majority that supports impeachment and removal of the president? Um, but anyway, also, there's, there's a little wrinkle I mentioned. I saw from, from all upon it over hot air, Greg. So let's say as you know, early next year, these numbers look exactly the same. Cory Gardner, it's, I think it's safe to say, is not on the same page as President Trump, and he probably finds President Trump pretty infuriating on a regular basis. If you're down to Hickenlooper by 10 to 15 points, and Trump has effectively ended your, pres- your, your political career uh, after one term in the Senate, are we 100% sure Cory Gardner votes uh, against removing the president? Not necessarily. I think it kind of depends on what other Republicans are doing. If it's a vote that gets nowhere close to 67 or whatever they need, it, it may not move the needle that much either way. In other words, if you don't like Cory Gardner and uh, all of a sudden he decides to vote to convict President Trump, do you suddenly change your mind on that? Uh, yeah, I, mean, say. I don't say this to, you know, in an effort to save his seat. I think that is if, if Cory Gardner is going down either way. Is there some part of him that might be, thank, thanks a heap, big guy. Uh, your particular style of politics has wrecked the Republican Party in my state. You know, why should I, why should I stick my neck out to defend you when you do so little, so little to help me out? It's, you know, just, just floating that theory out there for people who might be unacceptably cheery on a Friday. All right, one more bit of good news, Andy, and that is the fantastic deals you can find at 4 slash martini, including their signature offer right now, a free solar panel with the purchase of the Patriot Power Generator 2000X, and of course, free shipping on all orders over $97. You want to be prepared. You don't want to get caught unprepared when your power goes out. It's going to happen eventually. It's just a question of whether you're in the dark for a few minutes, a few hours, or maybe even a few days or more. The Patriot Power Generator 2000X, worth its weight in gold. It's now got double the capacity, and it'll keep your big appliances running, including your fridge, which is full of food that just keeps getting more and more expensive. It's got 12 outlets, including four AC, plus two USB-C outlets that can charge your phone 20 times faster than normal. So visit 4patriots.com slash martini to get your Patriot Power Generator 2000X with the free solar panel included. Plus get free shipping on orders over $97. Save more and get peace of mind now by going to the number 4patriots.com slash martini. That's 4patriots.com slash martini. All right, well, let's stay cheery as we go into our good martini. And Jim, this has nothing to do with uh, current events in the headlines other than the fact that as best as we can tell, based on our archives, tomorrow is the ninth anniversary of the first episode of the Three Martini Lunch, which, uh, oddly enough, was about polling that was looking really good for Republicans heading into the 2010 midterms, uh, including folks like Pat Toomey. Uh, It was also the day in our crazy martini that we talked about the rent is too damn high party in New York as Andrew Cuomo was running against Jimmy McMillan and a Republican I can't remember from 2010. So I could tell you that that line was more memorable than whoever was running as the Republican nominee that year. But uh, so Saturday marks nine years of the three martini lunch and counting. And so we decided to look back at some of our favorite moments, uh, one which has, uh, I think, in the minds of both of us and our listeners, become the quintessential three martini lunch moment. This was from June of 2016 in the wake of a very difficult story, which was the horrific mass shooting at the Pulse nightclub in Orlando. And as the investigation into that uh, went on, we found out the FBI uh, had come across the shooter twice, looked at him twice, decided not a threat. And then we found out even later that uh, the shooter and his wife had cased Disney World, Disney World reaching out to the FBI and the FBI not deeming that worthy of investigation. So that led us to this. What do they have to do to get rounded up? 
right? I mean, like, you know, just, just what is that threshold? Because in this case, this guy never tripped that threshold. And as a result of it, you know, close to 50 people are dead. You got me thinking when you mentioned what Stephen Miller said, that Mickey Mouse is doing more than the FBI to, to protect us. As the father, and we've mentioned this before, of a three-year-old and a one-year-old, that would be the greatest episode of Mickey Mouse Clubhouse ever. Oh, hands where I can see him. Oh, hey, kids, go on and help us catch terrorists. Let's check out our mouse tools. We're going to have a stun I'm gun. I'm picturing, like, Disney's 24. <laughs> Copy that. Oh, I don't have time to explain. <laughs> I will shoot your wife in the knee if you don't tell me where the bomb is. <laughs> Goofy's doing enhanced interrogation techniques. And... Hope you like water. <laughs> There's our there's our good martini grab. Oh, Jim, that one just never gets old, does it? It does not. Uh, and you want to talk about being able to, you know, the, the one of my unofficial slogans is we laugh because otherwise we would cry. Um, that was it. Uh, that, that encapsulates our program very well. I, I didn't tell you this, Greg, but I just thought it'd be very special. I did know our nine-year anniversary was coming up. And so right here in um, uh, Authenticity Woods, Virginia, in my home office with my podcasting microphone, I have gathered all of our guests over the last nine years here. So everybody, <laughs> just say a few words. Wasn't that terrific, Greg? Every guest we've ever had on. Exactly. We've had guest hosts, but never actually any guests. And uh, it, that's not going to change anytime soon. My One of my favorite anecdotes about this, Jim, is uh, we mentioned a few weeks back that you did a book signing. Uh, for your new book, uh, Between Two Scorpions. And this little bit from our show actually got mentioned by one of your readers, right? Yes, uh, this has become one of our signature uh, moments. And I think, you know, a, besides, okay, you know, I think besides being funny, or at least I hope it's funny, I'm sure there's someone who's like, Mr. Garrity, waterboarding is not funny, whether it's being done by the CIA or by Goofy. You know? <laughs> um, the absurdity of it, um, but, but, but also a sense of being able to think of something that illustrates a ridiculous state of affairs, the, the inaccurate, you know, that the, the, the uh, the Disney Corporation, when they, they did go to Disney World, was in fact more attuned to the potential threat from this uh, uh, this uh, horrible human being, uh, for, you know, than the FBI was. And um, you know, just the thought of Disney characters, you know, torturing people, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, it makes us happy in a very wrong way. But uh, but so again, like the idea of finding, illustrating the absurdity of the moment, and also maybe you just like the idea of you know Jack Bauer suddenly turning into a happy little mouse or something. Exactly. And well, the, I like doing the voice. Oh. <laughs> and the guy asked you to write the, the inscription uh, in the book to the, the folks at Disney CTU. Isn't that what Yes. <laughs> yes. By the way, um, yeah, I'm suddenly reminded of this. So they brought back DuckTales. I guess it was a yeah, late 80s afternoon t- television show uh, in syndication. They brought it back. And I don't know, Greg, you'll probably get this in a few years. My sons are eagerly telling me about it. And I keep saying, Yes, this was on when I was your age too. They they simply can't get their heads around it. But um, they have Donald as a character, and they did a version of Castaway, the uh, uh, the Tom Hanks movie in which he talks to Wilson, the basketball, volleyball, yep, volleyball. Yeah, thank you. Um, <laughs> in which the coconut has been made to look like Mickey Mouse, and Donald Duck is talking to Mickey Mouse, and he does the voice of Mickey um, very much with that. Oh, oh, we'll get off this island someday, there, Donald. Oh. So one of the funny thing is that Donald Duck, who speaks with this, you know, ludicrous speech impediment, somehow can magically make his voice work for Mickey again. Uh, but it just reminded me of Mickey CTU. And uh, so I guess for anybody who's ever having a rough day or things aren't going right or you think the world is spinning off its axis, Greg, we will always have Disney CTU to come back. 
That's true. And one other uh, moment that we want to share, that was, this was just uh, less than two months ago, is when the NFL season was starting, we decided to do Democratic presidential candidate fantasy drafts. And uh, here's how Jim led off with the first pick. I'll be honest, my first overall pick was going to be Kirsten Gillibrand, a senator from New York, running for president. Uh, I don't know if you heard, Greg, it turns out she's uh, she got an ACL. Ooh. She's actually a craven, lousy candidate. Um, so she's <laughs> off. She's out of it. Uh, my first pick then uh, will be a tight end out of Stanford. No, I'm not making that up. Corey Booker, senator from New Jersey. There's actually coverage of him. You can actually go online and find uh, back in the you know early 90s. Uh, Corey Booker was did get to Stanford. He does have a football scholarship, and he was a pretty darn good one. Um, not good enough to make it to the pros, but he has some nice highlights there. So, uh, look, whatever else you think of Corey Booker, probably makes a pretty good tight end. And then I took Biden in the first round, but uh, given where the race is now, I decided to use this clip from my second round draft pick. You can't have everyone just freewheeling or the whole system falls apart. You need a captain who's willing to slap people in the face and tell everyone they're doing things wrong regularly because people love that and that you're deeply, deeply disappointed in them. And no one is better at that than Elizabeth Warren, who I often liken to the nitpicker from your local homeowners association who reports you because your mailbox is eight inches from the curb instead of nine. Like the center on the offensive line, she will harangue the team incessantly to execute the game plan properly. Everyone will loathe her, but they'll do their jobs just to avoid getting yelled at again. And just like the great Jim Thorpe, perhaps the greatest football player ever, Warren brings another intangible to the game. That's right. She's from Oklahoma. Jim, uh, we're just getting warmed up. We've got a whole presidential election over the next year. And uh, sadly for uh, many folks, a year from now, we still won't be at Election Day, but uh, we'll, be, we'll be close. Yeah, Greg, I just also want to point out your metaphor of Elizabeth Warren as the nosy neighbor who rats you out to the Homeowners Association for a extraordinarily minor technical violation. Uh, I have mentioned that both in conversation and writing many times. And I got to tell you, every time, Greg, people are like, oh, my God, yes, that's who she is. <laughs> so I want to salute you for perhaps so far in this cycle, what I believe is the most accurate uh, metaphor or comparison of who Elizabeth Warren represents and why she might have a tougher time in uh, 2020 than she thinks. But you know, time will tell. Excellent. Well, nine years in the books, uh, heading into the big 10th year here. Jim, having more fun every day. So we look forward to next week and many weeks and months and years beyond. Have a good weekend. Just think, Greg, nine more years to the show can vote. And I think I know how it'll vote, hopefully. <laughs> we'll see. Jim, have a great day. Have a good weekend. See you soon. See you Monday, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thank you for being with us today. Don't forget to uh, head over to wherefigs.com, enter the promo code Martini, and get 15% off your first purchase. Have a good weekend. See you Monday on the Three Martini Lunch. How much do you spend from your paycheck in about 100 days? The Watchdog on Wall Street podcast with Chris Markowski. Every day, Chris helps unpack the connection between politics and the economy and how it affects your wallet. The federal government is on pace to spend over $1 trillion per every 100 days. Are Speaker Johnson and congressional Republicans doing anything about it? Enough is enough. Whether it's happening in D.C. or down on Wall Street, it's affecting you financially. Be informed. Check out the Watchdog on Wall Street podcast with Chris Markowski on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Why are so few singers protesting Hamas? Five for Fighting's John Andrasik has an answer. 
talk to some managers and folks and, and I have and you know there's certain iconic artists that in other times would be writing these songs. I'm like, where are they? And they say, well, you know, they're scared. They're scared for their families. They're scared that their concerts will be protested. But those are the same arguments people used in 1938. Hear more on the Hollywood in Toto podcast, The Right Take on Entertainment. Find it on iTunes or your favorite audio platform.